Welcome everybody to Soundtrack Showdown, our love special. Feeling all loved up now. Yeah, yeah. It's been a good February. February's been kind to you. Sure, I've been I've been very kind to myself. Oh, good. You good. know, treating myself with chocolates, mm -hmm. roses. Yeah. You know, a nice spa day. That's the true you know. spirit of Valentine's. Of course. Yeah, I guess you should love not just. You know, it's, I think Valentine's Day, we should remember that it's not just about, you know, couples and mm -hmm. like, you know, people who are in relationships. I think it's all about love for family, love for friends. I mean, me and my friends, we have this tradition where we say a happy Valentine's Day to each other. You yeah. Know? I mean, we use a, we say something a little bit more uh, ruder. We say, oh. we say something happy dot, happy beep. Valentine's Day. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Just to make a little bit light of the situation if we're not with anybody. But even sure. if we are, you know, it's a celebration of love for everyone, not just couples. So, that's yeah. That's really sweet. That's what, that's what I believe. What about you? Did you have a good Valentine's? I've never really done the Valentine's thing at all. Oh, so you don't fall for the whole commercial sort of not trap? The, not, not the, yeah, not the commercial thing, nor, nor any... I mean, is, is there anything other than the commercial side of Valentine's? But I, no, just Valentine's Day has never really been a thing for me. My birthday's in February, though, so I like February anyway. Oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Great. So, um, obviously, this month is all about, you know, romance and love, and we've yes. picked some really interesting films to A couple discuss. of love stories. Love stories, but very traditional love stories. I think love stories have kind of stemmed what Romeo and Juliet probably had stemmed from. And Yes. So what you're referring to is that one of our movies is based on a certain 12th century love story mm. from whom one of your hosts might derive their name. The story of Tristan and Isolde. 12th century. Yes, that's the one. And then the other film is also... A slightly a more modern take. It's a modern take, but there's still elements of... Sort Similar of, story. Well, especially since like there's a love story in the sort of medieval time mm. aspect of it. Mm -hmm. It kind of hints at it. Um, because the two films that we're kind of talking about relate to is there's a, lot, there's a theme of love as well as honour and uh, loyalty. Yes. So I think those are the three themes that both films even though they're set in different times, actually mm -hmm. touch upon. So and there's be... a, probably a fourth theme that we need to get to after our spoiler alert. Ah, yes. <laughs> this is a spoiler alert, guys, okay? So we basically tell you what's going to ha what happens in the film. So if you haven't yeah. watched the film... Or at least know the story, which given that one of these stories is literally 900 years old, you have had your time to find it out. We are going to give away the ending in three... Two, two, one. one. Death is also one of the themes, guys. Yep. Death and loss is one of the themes. <laughs> tragedy. Yep, that's it. It's not a good love story without a bit of tragedy as well. Uh, we should probably actually introduce the actual films we're going to be talking about. Well, didn't we do we, one We've mentioned it? briefly, but so we're talking that both films are actually from 2006. Ah, how funny. And both have English composers. Oh, even so. More so the first one, the one that we have hinted at most strongly, is Tristan plus Isolde, part of that kind of trend of doing the 
X plus Y rather than and from, you know. Ram. So lazy. I know, right? Uh, that, that was from 2006. Probably best known as the James Franco Tristan and his old movie. Mm-hmm. But with uh, music by Anne Dudley, who I am reliably informed is, for, for the people who understand English geography, she's from Kent. Nice. And uh, the other film that we're going to be talking about is The Fountain, uh, one of Darren Aronofsky's, Aronofsky's early films, also from 2006, with music by Clint Mansell, who is from Coventry. Coventry. Yeah. yeah. And our rounds will be discussing... Round one, we'll be talking about love. Of course. course. <laughs> round two... Action, which... because they can't have love without action. Okay. And then round three, death. death. Of course. Uh, Round four, production and techniques. And then finally, round five, legacy. So, right, so, Tristan, I just wanted to ask a quick question. Like, how do you define love? Oh, just a quick question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as briefly as you can. I know it's a very big, it's it's very broad. Look, I, obviously, love is one of these sort of complex things, I think it's fair to say. There's a lot of elements to love there's you know falling in love there's being in love there's the kind of long-term relationship aspect of being in love all of those sorts of things i yeah the the thing that's going to be most important for today i think is the love as being the the force that holds two people together that, that, that draws people together and holds them together into 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 a relationship and the way i think of that love is it's not so much a, a thing it's more of a it's more of a reason mm. Lo- love is a love is a motivation love is a reason why you might do do something so instead of being motivated by you know wanting to make money or being motivated by needing to find safety and security in a certain moment many of us probably more than half of our daily motivations are motivated in some level by love towards another person whether they be a family member or our partner or our children or whatever it is and it, it, it's what drives you to do so many things because you're not getting anything of specific value yourself out of it but you do it because you love the other person and you you choose you want to express that through your actions or through mm-hmm. what you're saying or what you're doing on a daily basis or you and I think this is going to really come through into the films. You feel a duty to do something for somebody be- because of the love that you share with mm. each other. Not even that you necessarily, like, one-sided you feel for them, but that you know is is a reciprocal feeling between the two of them. What do you think? So when I think of love, love is a form of acceptance onto this journey whereby, you know, you're accepting the fact that you're, you know, if it's going to be between, a ma- like, a, a couple, mm. between two people, regardless of gender or sure. whatever, you are accepting that you are going to go on this journey with this other person to, I guess, on a, on a form of a spiritual growth in some ways, okay. to enhance each other. And therefore you accept the fact that changes will happen and it's your perseverance through better or worse, through love and mm. your act of love. That's fascinating. So, yeah, so you sort of think of, of love, yeah, as, as you say, as a journey. It's like it's a, once you sort of like, it's like sort of uh, tapping onto like a stream or something. That once you sort of like get into it, it's going to it's going to take you as a person th- 
through a path. You don't necessarily know where it's exactly going to take you, but yeah, you know it's going to take you. Exactly. You're not always going to be having going through a honeymoon period. If you're mm. only thinking that love is always always going to be all nice and flowery, you're going to be always wanting to hold each other and kiss each other and never let go, and you it hurts to see each other go. It's like that's a fantasy. That's mm-hmm. very short lived. You have to kind of accept the fact that once the honeymoon period finishes, the true and real love really starts. Mm the development and the works really start to work itself and Mm -hmm. develop and it's just it's how much are you willing to work through it I guess as giving providing to the other person and nurturing the other person you know both spiritually physically and emotionally and how much you're willing to accept from Mm. the other person and you know it's, it's all about being together and loving each other through trials and tribulations and stuff and just knowing that this is your calling for each other oh. <laughs> yeah wow yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a light question just there. a just, light question just, there I mean I've got other ideas of what love is but that's just kind of like a very but, basic summarised version we'll, we'll save them for next year's Valentine's special <laughs> right will we? exactly so shall we crack on on to our sure. rounds so round one love so, what are we looking for in round one? Obviously, both of these are fundamentally love stories. Yeah, I think for me, is does it pull on the heartstrings? Okay. The music? That's for me. I think it does. It obviously connect. Does it connect with you? Does it connect with me on a? But does it connect me with the characters and showcasing the devotion to each other? That's that's exactly the point that I was going to make, which is that I both of these films desperately need you to believe the love between those two mm. characters because the, the entire storyline of both is based on how much these two people love each other mm-hmm. and so I, I want the music to communicate the depth and strength of that love because without it the film makes no sense and because love let's face it it's and, and you know unless you uh, have a lot of very demonstrative love which is not possible actually in either of these films it's hard to show so actually, music has a has a big job, I think, in movies of expressing love as a as an emotional subtext to moments. Do you agree? Sure. Yeah. Good. So let's start with the fountain. Okay. So we're we're a little bit in a disagreement with this because you picked one track. I mean, you picked a different one. Yeah. So we can kind of discuss, touch upon both. Yeah. Okay. So you picked "Stay with Me." I did. So here it is.
So obviously I picked that one because that's the love theme from the fountain. It's not the love theme from the fountain. It's actually played. Do you know when it's played? Well, it's played a number of times, but you hear that three-note motif in particular every time you get that sort of flashback, the one happy love flashback of, of them sort of like running through the house and she's in the red dress. And mm, Yeah, but no. No? Cause you, no, because you also get the other theme that I'm going to talk about played a lot of the time, and particularly at the peak when she is telling him to uh, to embrace and accept his duty of death and just you know just to let go and be with me basically okay which i thought was the theme for that not for their love um, no but i think for me that heightens that's a representation for me for their love okay okay let's hear yours Mm. so yours is called the last man is that right yep
Okay, I mean, I can certainly say that's probably the most beautiful piece of music in in the movie, and there is a, a loving quality to it. But at the same time, there's that there's that ground which is very funereal. You've got to admit. Yes and no, but for me, that's kind of more, it has a more of a call and response aspect. You yeah. know, when the violence come in and like it's almost if to me it sounds a like communication between Izzy and Tom. Yeah, you know, basically, I just find that. When the violins and the higher, the higher the higher points come in, yeah. that's her communication, her positivity, and her sort of emotional state. And the lower tones are more him, and sure. how they combine together and they communicate together. And for me, that's maybe that's just that's that's a unity of a partnership of mm. love, and that's what I kind of got more sentimental feelings when that music was being played. Okay. I found the stay with me, even though it was that I that motif that you're the three note motif that you're referring to, it's a very it's I, it's lovely, it's really pretty. <laughs> and it go and it goes over like genuine it, love moments. It does, but for some reason it didn't have the same impact for me. It almost it kinda of went over my head. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's as good a piece of music. Mm. I just think it's actually the one that, that goes with more of their love scenes than, than I know, the but then what are, we, what are we arguing about there? Which is the better piece of music then? But then, I, then mine's better. Yours is better. Do you feel that it's, it is a particularly strong love theme? Like, ignoring necessarily its particular attachment to this film and how it's used in this film, do you think you could throw it into many other films and be like, that's a love theme? It's a sort of love theme. It's a tragic love theme. Sure. It's a... It's a, it's there because that music has a real sense of sadness to it. Mm-hmm. It's a very um, reflective type of music for the love, and it's the love where you kind of, as I was mentioning earlier, in terms of my definition mm. of love, it's a sort of music whereby you really have to consider long and hard, like, and reflect, like, do you really? love this person yeah and this sort of music does make you question yeah makes you think about questioning like do i really love this person am i really willing to put up with what they're going through and take this journey with them yeah and see them through yeah nurture them and stuff and i think that's i think that is a that music is a great underscore for that okay i 100 percent agree with what you've just said and that's precisely why i don't like either of these as love films for this love themes for this film Honestly, and we'll, we'll get to Tristan and Zoldan mode. I feel like these movies have each other's love themes. Mm-hmm. Because this is a love theme full of sadness and longing and the impossibility of it. But I feel that what this film desperately needed was at some point to explain why these two people love each other. Because mm. it just treats them of, well, they're, they're together, so obviously they love each other. But literally every single love moment in this film is him questioning that. Is him struggling with that? Is him feeling the pain of that love? And you, even though we have flashbacks, the, the flashbacks are never kind of warm enough to be like, oh my god, these people are such a like a beautiful couple they're together. They're soulmates. How tragic that they're dying. Mm. And I feel like that's part of why this film leaves a lot of people cold. Is mm. we need to believe how perfect they are and how tragic it is that these two people are being torn apart by by death and why he's trying to, you know, in three different timelines solve the problem that will bring her back. Mm. I, I don't feel it from, and I don't, and I think the music is part of it because the, the music never goes there of these people love each other. It's, 
and frankly, I and mean, you're agreeing with what I was saying earlier. Yeah, because well, because I feel like a lot of the music is kind of one-sided. I accept your point with the the last man about how you get Izzy's optimism in there, but it's but that's just my interpretation. But no, but I like it. I like it because the problem I I have with Stay with Me and with thinking of Stay with Me as the love theme, and indeed with quite a lot of the last man, is it's completely one-sided. Is that is comp- this isn't a theme for the two of them. This is a theme for Thomas's internal struggle mm-hmm. with how awful it is and his guilt and everything. He, the guilt that he didn't go out walking in the snow with her that time and that he instead tried to cure her cancer mm. and, and all of those things. And it's just this con- feels like a constant depression and rumination of Thomas, which feels more like, as, as and we're about to come to the other film, I promise, the actual story of Tristan and Isolde, which is these people love each other, but they cannot be together. So everything about their love is pain because it cannot be and it will not be and it will inevitably end in one of them dying. That That is how I feel the Tristan and Isolde love, which never gets to be, as opposed to theirs, which has been. Okay, then. And swiftly moving on to Tristan and Isolde. Yes. And the track that we picked was Two Loves Be One. Yeah, they made it easy with the title for this one. Right, yeah. So here it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's more of a classic love theme. And we should say that like, this track is very much the love theme, but that, that sort of love fragment appears just throughout the film and it sort of slowly develops across... The, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely thing she's done with it, basically. Yeah. You hear it in like little like murmurs in piano and woodwinds or whatever and like Celtic flutes and things. And then True. I mean, for me, the beginning of it, the piano part, just sounds really reminded me of American Beauty's theme. Oh, Yeah. It's probably similar chords, actually. Yeah, is this, do you know what I mean? Yeah, the, the, and the way it's harmonised in that yeah. sort of very um, uh, homophonic way because everything moves in the same speed. Exactly. Yeah, so. and and it's in piano. Of course. And um, it definitely has a, a, a romantic air, air about it, for yes. sure, with the string swells and, you know, the, but there's still a hint of melancholy. And, and I was just listening out to, like, how there's a lot of, sort of pad, pads effects or of electronics oh, okay. underneath to it and there's also elements of like environmental sound effects i felt like i oh, i just swear i heard like doves or like forests oh, interesting okay. it was very very faint yeah that's sure. why i was listening to the yeah, she was she i can i can vouch for that yeah, <laughs> he is right up against the speaker i was just like what is that but um it kind of added to that sort of um almost fairy tale aspect yeah. to it i think Kind of earthy. It sounded very, un- uh, it's like very earthy thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you're kind of contained. 
you're hidden. Mm-hmm. There's there's an element of secrecy to it. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yep. You're right. And, and a secrecy and an intimacy as yes, well. Yes. Intimacy. Exactly. Um, so it's it's lovely. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. It's. I think it's. You could say it's your very traditional standard love interpretation. I mean, what can I say? It's nice, but I I didn't necessarily feel like. I don't know. It's nice. It's nice. And I absolutely hate it. Ah, okay, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate it, but I'm just a bit like, yeah, it's nice, okay. Yeah, it's it is. It's, it's it's nothing special. It's a love theme. It's a good love theme. It's a well-written love theme. It's a well-developed love theme. It would work probably in a like in a relatively large variety of films, which is not to say it's necessarily generic, but it like it's it, slightly it's, generic. It, it is slightly generic, but it's but it's not like super generic. I just feel it is completely, completely wrong. For the story of Tristan and Isolde. Interesting. Okay, that's very controversial. Okay, what what would you have done? We don't have to ask me what I would have done different because a perfectly good composer has done Tristan and Isolde and done what I consider to be probably the best approach mm-hmm. to scoring this story. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this. It is a certain German Wagner. Wagner. Of course. So let's let's open. Let's just throw open the Prelude from Tristan and Isolde. So that's that's what that's what we in the business called the Tristan Chord. It is then <laughs> named uh, after you, of eh? course, absolutely. And we're going to put a little link in the description of um, Stephen Fry totally geeking out over this for six minutes, where he will explain everything you ever need to know with a music professor at playing Wagner's own piano of all things. But I'll give you the basic crib notes version, which is that that little sequence of chords there completely unresolve, and they don't resolve for four hours of music. Now, that is what the Tristan and Isolde story is about. It's about these sort of lovers that need to be together, that must be together, but cannot be together, and so nothing is ever resolved. Everything is always searching and there's longing. Tension. And t- there's constant tension, always pushing for something that it can't quite get to. And multiple times through the opera, it, it looks like it's, it's about to finally be in there, and then something will come in and throw the harmony right off, and it never gets it. And the, the reason why I hate this score 
is it's constantly resolving. It's mm. constantly grounded. And it's like, oh, these two are just together and it's nice. And I don't feel like the nature of their love is not one where it's beautiful and they're together and it's happy. The nature of their love is this cannot be. Mm-hmm. They know from the beginning so it there cannot isn't, you, be. So there isn't enough tragedy to it? No, there's none. <laughs> it should be like 99% tragedy, 1% beauty. It's funny. Like the Gr- fountain. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, should, why, maybe they should swap. That's so what I'm saying, <laughs> right? These films have each other's themes. Yeah. I just, they needed to compare. These films are made in the same year. Clint and Get in a Room, Share Notes, Swap Scores. They were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. You know, they should have just been like in some sort of old... Aronofsky went to Coventry, should have gone to Kent. Like, they just... Ah, it... it, And it really annoyed... All the way through the film, I just kept watching being like, this theme is wrong. Mm. Where's where's the longing? Where's the tension? And the thing is that the actors don't provide you with attention either. Like, we we needed the music to actually bring it here. And it just, it wasn't there. And it made the whole, whole film a, should be gut-wrenching. I, I agree in the sense there wasn't enough suffering. No. It should be all suffering. Fair enough. So then, in terms of picking our winner then... This is really tough, frankly, because... It's not tough for me. I mean, yeah? I, I have my own reasoning as to why I'm picking my... Why are you picking yours? Which one are you going with? Because it, it touched my heart, okay? The fountain? The fountain. Okay, good. So I Let mean, go of your emotions, Kristen. Okay, stop thinking so logically. What What do you feel? Which one do you feel? What I feel is that the Tristan Zold one is a better love theme in terms of being a love theme, doing the sort of things that we would normally expect a love theme to do. But yeah, it's that, completely that's logic. The, that's but it's com- too logical. But it's completely the wrong approach in terms of making me feel what the film was meant to feel. Fountain. Boom. Okay, so then round two, action. action. So both of these films have a bit of action. Sometimes a little unexpected. I mean, Tristan is old, fair enough. Yeah, that's it's, it's understandable. It's like yeah. it's set in medieval time and there's going to be a time when it's, there's war and people trying it's, to conquer each other. It's, exactly, it's, it's, it's the dark ages, there's a lot of it going about. Yeah. But when you walk into the fountain, you think, oh, it's this like... Uh, professor, his wife's dying of cancer. You don't expect the battle in the Mayan temples. No, definitely not. Not in the first three minutes, especially. No, exactly. Well, no, you don't expect a man on a tree spaceship, you know, dressed up as like a, in a monk, mm. and then going into a Mayan battle. Speaking of things you don't expect, and I desperately hope you get this reference, you also don't expect the Spanish Inquisition. Yes, true, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's. All right, so we'll start again with The Fountain, and the track we are listening to for this one is called Holy, Holy Dread. Dread. Thank you. 
So you like this one? I do. It's weird. I kind of like how it develops, and I like how obviously he's got Cronus, Cronus uh, String Quartet, quartet yeah. performing as well as Mogwa. Mogwai, I think. It's yeah. Scottish, so that with an accent, and I think he was probably there. Yeah, so it's it's quite an interesting collaboration between the three of them. Obviously, Clint, yeah. Mogwai, and Cronus. Um, yeah, it's interesting as as a piece because it like it starts out super generic. Yeah. Like it's like okay, we've got a temple scene, so we're going to have a bit of tribal drumming, mm-hmm. a bit of random bit deep of, male like, chanting, atmospherics of drones and stuff. Yeah, some like sound effecty type things, yeah. and it's like oh yeah, okay, whatever. Like we, yeah. everybody would do this. This is what your average like you know first year scoring class would probably do at any given university. But then yeah, Cronus Quartet and Mogwai come in. You're like okay. This is interesting. Yeah, this yeah. is this is different. It's taking it to the next level. Yeah. Okay. So so respect respect. No, <laughs> it's a, it, no, it's a good one. It, it, it's an interesting track. It's a good one, but you have to persevere to get to the good parts. Mm. I think because, as you say, if you're listening an album and if you're bored too soon, you could easily skip it and miss the best parts. So mm-hmm. you really need to kind of allow yourself to persevere. In terms of working with the scene. Yeah, it just it, yeah, it worked. Yeah, I feel like it needed something a little bit stronger to make it sound less like the rest of the film to sort of really clearly say this, this is, is a different time. Yeah, zone. and this is her story. Like mm. they're not even pretending that this is real. It's it's obvious that this is the book that Izzy is writing. Not this at the is... beginning of the film, though. No, you okay, don't not at the be... beginning, but but over the course of the film, like they're not they're not being shy about that. Mm. It's it's clearly her story slash fantasy. fantasy yeah. So I feel like it would it's allowed to be a little bit crazier in in that respect, just to kind of make it a bit more obvious, and, and then by conversely make the real world stuff feel more real by mm. by comparison. I feel like that delineation could have been made better. So you really wanted to have that different differentiation between I the wanted two. a bit more of it, yeah. Whereas otherwise otherwise what you tend to have is the Kronos Quartet all the way through mm. and Mogwai thrown in kind of occasionally for mm. effect and, and done quite well and it's a very interesting sound. But it I feel like it causes everything to blend into one, which is perhaps what he was going for, but I think is also part of the reason why a lot of people are confused by this film. Mm-hmm. And which doesn't then set up the ending to be as transcendental as it needs to be either. Fair enough. So then moving on to... Tristan and Isolde. Another uh, track going for sort of a moment very early in the film, which essentially helps set up some of the drama. In this case, it's The Irish Raid.
So, do you think that the director of this film, Kevin Reynolds, was influenced by Braveheart at all? Um, who wouldn't be influenced by Braveheart after true. it came out? True, true, true. But, like, this scene is so similar to the beginning of Braveheart. Mm. And the music for this scene is, okay, the, the music doesn't accompany that particular scene. But so, just a general sort of setup. So, this is all of the English lords have come together and they get attacked by the, the, Irish. the Irish, as opposed to in the beginning of the Scottish film where the young William Wallace and his um, uncle or whatever stumble across the barn where all the Scottish lords came together and they're all murdered by the English. It's exactly the same setup. And this music, with which sort of does that sort of like deep drumming, Celtic sort of drumming, always shakuhachi, is exactly like the revenge track that... Um, where William Wallace like avenges his mm. wife who gets murdered by the the Lord. Interesting. So do you think that this is a, an issue whereby the temp track was overly used? I've got a strong suspicion that that might have been what happened because why else would you use shakuhachi, which as we both know is a Japanese flute in a Celtic scene? Mm. I take it you're not a fan. I mean, it's it's a good track in its own way and it works and it actually in terms... This, this tension, it fills all the... Trigger points. Exactly. It actually goes to the scene really well. And yeah. Much more than the fountain one, which is really just kind of like a backing and the track, the, the yeah. scene just sort of happens over the top. This, this scene is a lot more important to the story because you actually need to have the young Tristan there, him being scared, you've got his mother dying and then his father dying and then you've got Mark coming in and saving mm-hmm. him. And it, it does actually tell the story of all of those moments through through the music. And that, that part of it, the actual storytelling moment-to-moment composition of it fantastic beautifully done and it look it's not the composer's fault that we can probably suspect that um but it's funny i not many people would make that reference or that association with braveheart you know i'm just saying well i've I've probably seen it more times than some exactly so therefore that's why you are a little more judgmental all right all right So, so what do you think um, just musically, yeah, as I said, it hits all the correct points in the scene. You know, it's very uh, nicely aligned and there is a lot of tension. And again, I I mean, I like it, but I think some people might. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 don't... I don't think either of these are particularly strong pieces of action music and nor do they need to be because these aren't action driven movies. So the it's not like these they're needing tracks that carry, you know, a 15-minute battle sequence or anything I think crazy. what it is, it's like none of the music actually represent. It kind of doesn't exude a character or it relates to anybody. No. In the, f- in the film. You know, sometimes when you listen to an action film, you can kind of almost picture the scene, but you can also kind of relate or attach yourself to like, certain... This is that side and then yeah. this side, yeah. I-, I couldn't differentiate myself. It just seemed a little bit quite... Flat. It kind of was quite Sits flat, line. yeah, and which in essence it kind of makes it a little bit generic. So, which would you say is a winner then? Well, I would probably go for Tristan as old, mm-hmm. <laughs> purely because the fountain I like it for its listenability. Sure. I like the track on its own. Yep, and it works on its own. Yeah, I with, think it is a more fun track on yeah. its own for sure. But I guess in terms of the film, it it's. It just kind of it didn't relate to the the scene. No, it's just it underscore for an action. Yeah, and it didn't really heighten it as much. It just felt like I'm sure another a different piece of action film. Maybe, maybe this one could have actually done better. Maybe. Um, Shakuhachi so, would be just as foreign. <laughs> yeah, 
so but with Tristan as old, you know, in terms of like looking at the cuts and stuff, you know, even though it lacked any sort of emotional um, attachment to the characters or to pick a side or who's bad or evil, sure, um, it served the scene better. Mm-hmm. So in that case, yeah, I would go for Tristan as old for action. I agree. Yeah. So moving on to round three. Death. Death. Okay, Tristan. What did you want to discuss about death? <sighs> Do you want to die? Not particularly. Not right now. <laughs> um, still got so much more to get through. <laughs> and this is only this is only the third round. Yeah, I know. We've still got two more rounds, Ella, before we start thinking about whether or not we're dying at the end of this. <laughs> Yeah, so why, what, what is it about death that interests you about in relation to these two soundtracks? So both of these are kind of the tracks that go over the deaths at the end of the film, at the very end of the film. They kind of close the film and tie that particular knot. So we're really looking for sort of like death tracks that just tie all of the themes of the film together. Okay. Because well, they're, yeah. they're the crucial moments of the film of this is where we were going, well, now we're here. No, well, exactly, because normally a romance film or a love film, you know, there's uh, an emotionally satisfying, optimistic yeah, ending. Yeah, because it ends with them finally sort of getting together or being able to sort and of represent their And living happily ever after. Yeah, and the hope not for in the this future. Case. No. <laughs> Definitely not in this case. No, in this case it is, it is all over. So let's start with that. So I think we would probably need to set this up just in case we do have any listeners out there who have not seen the film. So the track we're listening to is called Death is the Road to Awe which sounds like a bit of an odd title. And to be honest, you could probably almost even miss it during the film as to where it comes from. The title comes from a story that Izzy tells uh, Thomas about a Mayan guide who described death as the, quotation, road to awe, which is sort of referring to death as the process by which you then sort of become... Enlightened almost. Yeah, enlightened and part of nature again. Mm. So the particular story um, this guide tells is how his... Dad was buried, and then a tree grew out of where he was buried. Well, he planted a seed. Well, he planted the seed, yeah, which then grew a tree. And, and that then... had his um, sort of essence in it, you know, yeah. because he planted it on where the grave was as yeah. well. So. so the tree grows out of him and is fed by him, mm. and then the tree grows fruit, and then a bird eats the fruit, mm. and the bird flies it's like off. It's a circle of life, basically. Exactly. So, yeah, it's this sort of, like, transcendental becoming part of the universe. Mm. That's your route up to heaven kind of story essentially uh so we are part of everything we are part of everything so here we are death is a road to awe
Yes, yeah, this is the bit of the film where I found really on very weird. Yeah, where it just kind of intercuts into so many of All these of the time zones and stuff, and it just kind of like I can kind of see where the thread is going and how it's meant to interlink with it, and then but then the the moment when the scene comes in and he's like hovering in the Mayan Temple. space, yeah. yeah, in front of the you know priest. the priest, I'm just kind of like. Yeah, you lost me there. This this is the moment for this film. I think like this is the the crucial moment. If this film has grabbed you, then this moment is its like transcendental moment. It's the moment that it blows your mind. If it hasn't grabbed you, this is the moment that you're just looking at. Okay, really? <laughs> Somebody's been having too many mushrooms and yeah. like too much LSD and e- just exactly. lost it. Yeah, and I think musically, I mean musically there is that sort of tension building you mm-hmm. know and it's progressing and it's getting more percussion and rhythmic yes. you know to to climax and stuff but then the, there isn't a real climax it's a very no. strange climax and there's no resolution and i just feel a bit like uh-huh. it left me cold even though it's meant to be a very emotional and it's meant to be the peak of the peak of the film yeah. as you say that where everything comes this is all the answers are, all the questions are answered. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that. You know what I think it is? What do you, what, what is this film about? At the end of the day, what is it about? Death. And accepting Love. death? Yeah, it's accepting death and... I feel like, I feel like that's it. I feel like if you, if you needed to like shorten this down into what is the moral of this film, it's, it's the acceptance of death. It's sort of respecting death as like the, just the passage to the next stage is that spiritual sort of concept of death well, is not something to be scared of yeah, which Izzy talks not the, about. yeah death is not the end basically yeah and to stop fighting it to just let it be i mean which i'm assuming is a message because it forms into that sort of like um prayer pose at the thought of death like mm-hmm. that's that's where we get to visually mm-hmm. i don't think the music says that at all no. the music maintains its tension it keeps churning it keeps ruminating it never resolves i think this is a rare situation, and I don't understand how it happened, but I think the music is actually literally working against the point of the film. Totally. Uh, compare this to last week, or last month, where we had the... Um, Side effects versus, like, you were never yeah, here. You, the, you were never really here scene or with the tree synthesizers or whatever yeah. it was called, where he's... Basically, it's the exact same moment, where he's letting go of his mother in the lake. It's like, it's the accepting of... But it was very poignant. Yeah, because that was a piece of music that actually was selling, accepting it. It was far more abstract as well. There wasn't a sort of tonality that you can latch on. You know, you just really kind of had to take go on this journey and just make something out of it. Whereas, but you could understand his thought process, and it felt right for the film. Mm. But you know what? There was an element where the scene where he's like stabbing the tree and then drinking this white ooze, and then the trees and the foliage is coming out of him. him, It felt like a music video scene. Yeah, it did. It felt really detached from the film, and, Mm -hmm. and I felt. That music wasn't part of the film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. So that's why it's a shame. It doesn't really. It's again on its own. Listening Listening to it as a track, fantastic. Like stick Mm. stick that on. You know, close your eyes, have a bit of a listen. Wonderful, amazing piece of music. But I just. But doesn't serve the scene in any way. No. And the completely the fact that it's meant to be right at the end of the film, and it's meant to kind of give you a sort of resolution, give you all the answers, and it doesn't serve anything. Anything. 
All right, moving on to Tristan and Isolde. So this is the second time that Tristan dies, <laughs> essentially. Um, He's like a cat with nine lies or something, I, I know. isn't he? It's, it's how we all are. So it's the track is called "None Can Die." Yes, and this is the moment where he says the uh, main romantic line of the film: "You were right. I don't know if life is greater than death, but love was more than either." Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ella just threw up a little. <laughs> yeah, it was meant to be a, a sentimental ah, you know, something. <laughs> but that just you... got caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is probably what my insides actually really, my emotional state thinks of it. It's just like bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't really want to put that on the Hallmark card, would you? No, no. Okay, well here's the music.
I liked it. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, I like the suspensions, the high string parts. Again, like there's a there's a touch of Braveheart to it. And mm-hmm. as as we said in the our favorites episode, the 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 track the For the Love of a Princess, which is this is quite strongly imitating and was probably the temp is one of my favorite tracks in film of all time. So I like it. I think it's beautiful. There's a, a certain amount of acceptance that this is the way life could be. This could almost have worked better in the it. other film. <laughs> There's tragedy to it. It's, yeah, it's a nice But it theme. carries the scene, you know. It's it's meant to kind of hit all the emotional points to make you, to elevate the sense of, you know, this is <laughs> him part dying and, you know, this is the end of their love now. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, they'll always remember each other, oh, but well, like in love will Well, always... he won't. He's dead. She'll remember him. Well, you know, he might be a, a ghost and, okay. you know, follow when her around. Tree. You know, or, <laughs> or follow as a tree or whatever. Um, but, yeah, there's more of a conclusion to it, for Definitely. sure. It's just it's a shame that it's just very, very standard, though. That's all, you know. You can't really go wrong with... Mm. A track that kind of, you know, it follows the the visuals, scene to scene, you know, the highs and lows. You know what I'm going to do right now. Oh, God, you're going to dissect it and you're going to say you hate it. No, I, but once again, I'm going to bring up Wagner. Oh, gosh, Wagner. <laughs> again. Who, who, to be honest, I'm not actually the biggest fan of Wagner. I just feel like he did this one particularly well. And so I'm, I'm just going to play a little bit of music from Wagner which comes about four minutes into most recordings of a track called Liebestod, which is the moment when Tristan has died and Isolde is thinking about it, and after four hours, that chord finally resolves. That was a long wait. <laughs> but it's beautiful. And so I think actually the weakness of, and the, the point I'm going to make here just very quickly, is the main weakness of this as a love, uh, as, as a death theme, is that the love theme didn't give it much to work with. Because as a theme, it does quite nicely bring the love theme back together and it sort of gives it a nice poignant, tragic farewell. But I feel like if the love theme itself had had more drama and tragedy and non-resolution things to it then this could have done a lot more by bringing it back together essentially which is what which is entirely the point of what Wagner has done true but again but maybe because like the whole film just didn't have that those scenes to play around with to kind of 
How about the scenes? All you need is those scenes with Tristan looking longingly across the room at his old. That's all you need with just unresolving, turbulent music like the fountain, and we would have been in business. But but we don't. Kind so of like again, that. there's an element where Anne probably went a bit too safe. Way too safe. And she almost didn't almost feel um, feel confident in her abilities to actually kind of take the rest to kind of be more out there, be more emotional. Yeah I, yeah, I feel like one way or another, she as a composer was not allowed to express as much emotion in those scenes as I think the composer needed to. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the nature of the production is such that the two characters, whilst I don't particularly think the actors had a lot of chemistry, they had to not be together to express the point of not being together. And we needed musical subtext to explain how much that hurt both characters. And it tended to just get really wishy-washy. It just looked like James Franco having a bit of a sad. She's looking a bit sad. Sad emoji. Yeah. So I've got one which I think is really cold and one which I think actively works against the point of the film. So I'm going to go with a piece of music which I think is far less interesting, but which at least does achieve the point of the film, and I'm going to go for Tristan and Isolde. Me too. Alrighty, so round four, production techniques. Uh, Due to some technical difficulties, these next couple of rounds may sound a bit different because we've had to record on a different day using different equipment. What what do you have to say about the the production techniques in the fountain? Ella, you're more of an expert on the Clint Mansell sound, I think. Oh, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in Clint Mansell. I mean, I listened to some of his soundtracks and I even got the opportunity to actually go to a talk that he gave at the Royal Albert Hall um, in one of the Elga rooms. Um, it was oh, part yeah. of the, yeah, it was part of the um, BAFTA's um, score composers talks. Like I even went to see Anne Dudley actually as well. So I got to see that both of them talk about the soundtracks and just their experiences and their background, where they came from and you know how they got to where they were. So that was really interesting. I was very privileged to go and see them. Um, but What would ter- you say is the difference between them having had the, essentially the same experience with both of them? What, how, how do you feel that they are compared to each other? Well, well, I mean, firstly, they differ in terms of educational background because uh, mm-hmm. Anne Dadley is much more she's she comes from a classically trained and she's gone she went to university to study music you know in composition yeah like the she, Royal College of Music I think yeah, yeah like so, quite formal music study yeah exactly so she has that sort of um, background of being trained mm-hmm. um, with compositions where you know going through learning the music theory and everything um, you know harmony so she kind of had a bit of a helping hand I guess so she she kind of when she went into film compositions she kind of knew where she was she kind of knew the formula a lot better okay she had a lot of sort of craft there from the classical training yeah well, well who wouldn't you know you kind of like Absolutely. it's it's yeah classic being classically trained kind of gives you a bit of a heads up you know a step forward or I guess a foot in the door in essence in terms of like being able to compose a lot more easily and freely you know because whereas people who are not necessarily classic classically trained rely a lot on their own sort of emotional states in terms of like writing intuitively and emotionally Mm -hmm. um whereas classically trained they just they they, there's a formula that they can kind of start and begin with and Uh follow if you know what i mean so this is how this is how clint 
differs in that way okay. because he is he isn't classically trained you know he comes from a, comes from a a live music musician sort of pop popular musician background you know playing in bands that sort of thing so therefore when he started going into film music it was kind of by chance and through I guess I think his association with Darren who gave him an opportunity to compose I think one of his earlier films called Pi yes and um, I think it was more or less the first film for both of them actually Pi yeah I guess the start of their sort of composer director relationship as well yeah um so he has been kind of learning the craft of film composing as he goes along as through each project you know and, and in essence he kind of is getting better because obviously he knows what works for him um his techniques etc so this is one of the things that i you know in some of my research that for the fountain he actually had to um get an orchestra or somebody to help him write the music for um chronos string quarter in order to perform in order for them to be able to perform it oh um, really okay yes because obviously cause he's not classically trained so he doesn't exactly. write music so he doesn't he needs obviously i would probably do it the same in some ways mm -hmm. you know or most composers who don't know how to read or write music um they would need to get an arranger or a conductor somebody who is a specialist in mm. writing music for orchestra just to correct them and make sure that they're speaking the same language or the language for um the musicians is written correctly for them to be able to perform um, absolutely that always amazes me and i wonder how much that would amaze other people uh, potentially listening of just how many quite serious and, and very, very good composers out there, particularly in, in film, actually don't necessarily understand music theory to the point of being comfortable writing parts for an orchestra or a string quartet. Or Well, a or famous like. one is Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer exactly. is a famous one, you know, as well as Danny Elfman. Um, yeah, you're right. A lot of very famous composers kind of have to outsource other people yeah. to help them out. And it's not to look down on them at all. I mean, those are amazing composers who have a really good, and as you say, perhaps even more instinctive style. I mean, it, back to like the fountain. I mean, this is one of the things that was like, interesting that I read, that apparently the score was composed concurrently with the film's production. So it was basically um, the music was composed as the film, as the movie was being filmed. Yep. As opposed to... At, at the end, when at he's the got end, a, a picture or... to go to. So he, because he wanted to create the mood that flourished as the film progressed. And I find that, I know, I find that really fascinating because I feel like, but I don't really think that you achieved it. No, exactly. <laughs> that, that was my first opinion. in a mean opinion. way, but. Yeah, which, uh, and that also, I think, just goes further down that point where maybe it's not quite the film that they expected it or wanted it to be. It just seems like everything just got really lost in translation. Yep. along the way it's almost like they just lost focus mm. it's interesting this this month in that i think we're talking about two films completely unintentionally two films that just left us cold and mm. we're bizarrely critical overly really critical and judgmental of them yeah and these are two of the only films i can think of where i actually i've looked back and be like what left me cold about this film and the music has been part of it where i felt that the music hasn't worked so it's it's really interesting to compare these two films together. Mm. Uh, speaking of which, um, we should move on to Tristan and Isolde, mm -hmm. which 
I must say, and I'll just stay off the start, has one of my great pet peeves. Ooh. My, awesome. my scoring pet peeves, yeah, which is the use of piano in fantasy and medieval films. Okay. Well, instead of the usual sort of Celtic style, you what you prefer, you would have wanted more of the Celtic music or like the fiddle, the flutes and the harp. I mean, I'm I'm really not a great piano fan at the best of times. But I've, really? I, That's, I'm surprised at that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not a piano player, unlike most composers, I guess. But so when I'm watching something like this, and a uh, similar thing, uh, occasionally piano has been used in things like Game of Thrones and things like that. And the moment I, you know, I'm seeing, you know, gritty, muddy, you know, lovely period costumes, etc. But then I hear a piano and I'm just immediately just pulled out of the world of being um, watching a modern recreation. I'm not actually there. It's this is this is no longer real, which I mean, even though most orchestral instruments also didn't exist back then. Mm-hmm. And no, I was going to say modern... the string, like obviously the vo- Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sort of advocating for complete realism in instrumentation, but there's something about an orchestra that just always feels feels grounded in 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 a world like this. I I can't particularly know why. Maybe it's just so many years of cinema or whatever. Whereas for me personally, a piano just always sounds out of place and modern and slapped on top, and I just I really don't like it. Interesting. I kind of have to disagree with you on that case, mm-hmm. just in terms of. I don't really mind the. I mean, I know what you're saying that the piano can sometimes feel a little bit distant and not as emotionally. Hmm. It, it doesn't really heighten emotions very well. But, but I, I don't know. I didn't really have an issue with the piano being performed, you know, the piano being used in a medieval, you know, fantasy or sort of okay. themed film. I, that, that, that didn't bother me necessarily. Um, that may be just me. I just, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. you. but in terms of like who wins how are we deciding on the winner Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's an interesting question isn't it that's a really interesting how are we going to evaluate that Uh, I'm going to go with Clint Mansell I think that yes I think he has used more and more interesting techniques in the production we definitely have some issues about necessarily how particular pieces of music attach to the film. But in terms of his actual production, the way he's combined Kronos Quartet, Mogwai, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'll probably award it to the the underdog, which is Clint Mansell. Purely because I think it's a case of like, I know this might sound really horrible, but like yeah. I expected more from you and having come from a classically trained background to have been a little bit more experimental, really have taken more risks with the soundtrack in terms of like causing more drama and really kind of heightening all this, this story, maybe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well done for the fountain, Trist, uh, Clint Mansell. We don't normally do this, but I will say, as of right now, going to round five, these two are neck and neck. Really? Ooh. Yeah. So let's go on to round five, Legacy. Oh, this is going to be really interesting. Uh, yes. Alrighty then. So, Legacy-wise. So in Legacy, we tend to look at the, at sort of at the life of the soundtrack outside of the film. 
generally, either sort of as an album or maybe how it's affected other films later on. Well, well here's an interesting fact that apparently when um, there was a competition that was launched um, called The Fountain Remixed, um, oh. whereby there was an official website um, uh, where people, users could um, download the audio parts for the Fountain's film score, remix the music, and then upload the work onto the website um, so that whereby PE will be voted and evaluated by other um, users. So that was quite interesting and quite unique. And I guess there are some accolades there whereby the summer awards that it won. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't win the Golden Globe. I think it lost out to uh, Alexander Desplat's Painted Veil, but oh, yes. he won a few other awards. So there's some accolades for him and some like recognitions for that particular album, that work. Um, in terms of the score for Anne Dudley. Well, just just before we move on, I I think it genuinely was a fairly influential soundtrack, and it's kind of proof of that. I'm I'm just gonna play a little clip from a, a soundtrack from four years later, 2010 which I think does borrow quite a bit of the, the sound that he was doing. It takes it in further into some other directions, but I, I can hear some similarities and I'm curious as to what you think. Is that Inception? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see with the guitars and the strings for sure that sort of combination together and that sort of driving element to it. Exactly, and that sort of transcendental moment. I think in many respects Inception almost kind of finishes the way that the fountain was meant to mm. in, in that sort of really sort of clever kind of a way. I, I, I think there's a lot of influence there. I, I think Hans and, and co heard this sound and, you know, they didn't copy it. They were influenced. Yeah. They were influenced. Like, you know, which is, you know, we don't never want to say anybody copies or plagiarizes no. anybody. Everybody's influenced by something, you know. And yeah. I always feel with Clint, like, even when I saw him live, there was an element of him feeling quite timid about his abilities or not um, confident in his abilities mm -hmm. as a composer. He was sure. almost kind of like, downplaying his because he doesn't come from as i said a classically trained background he always felt a bit like well you know i just kind of did what i could do almost mm. you know it's a little bit self-deprecating it know? is i think that's probably actually the biggest weakness of not having that grounding is that you are always looking over your shoulder as to what am i missing what what can't mm. what can't i do because i haven't done this what am, what am i missing out on here yeah but uh, but it would be wonderful for him to hear you know if he that Hans, for instance, was potentially influenced by that, you know. Mm. So, yes, Anne Dudley, legacy of Tristan and Isolde. Yeah. <laughs> the, the pause kind of tells it all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, yeah, the, the problem is that it borrows heavily from Braveheart. Braveheart, a yeah. So any, it's, it gets into that sort of horrible sort of territory where anything that even did sound like this, you would say, was influenced by Braveheart, which is the much better, much more successful, much more well-known film than this one. So it's kind of a dead end. Um, 
in, in, in terms of legacy, unfortunately. Which is a shame because as a composer, she's actually done really amazing work. Her, her legacy is fine. She's She's got a big, far-reaching, fantastic legacy. I just don't think any of it comes from this film. And there's nothing wrong with that. Every composer has a few films that... Doesn't heighten them or uh, doesn't heighten yeah, them I think as a composer. Yeah. Or do do anything yeah, for them. She did a job here. Yeah. She didn't ruin the film, but she didn't save it either. Elevate yeah. it. Yeah. She didn't make it any better. She would, yeah, or bearable. Yeah, and there was. De- I I do feel like there was definitely room for, as as we said back, particularly in the love theme, there was definitely room for the music to say a lot of the things that the the movie needed to say, and and those opportunities were one way or another missed. So, I I'm just going to flat out award this one to Clint Mansell because I mean potentially he influenced one of the most influential soundtracks of the last decade, and the other one didn't. Yeah. I agree. I mean, there's not much more to say, to be honest, you know. (laughs) No, absolutely. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess as we set up at the beginning of the round, that leaves us with our winner, Clint Clint Mansell, Mansell for The Fountain. Yeah, woo! Yeah! Well done, Clint. You should be so proud of yourself. So, does that surprise you? Is that that where you thought that was going to go, or...? Um, it's weird. I always do you when you when we go into these into these sessions, do you kind of have a premeditated or who you want the winner to be? Frequently not. No. There, there have been there have been a couple of occasions where I've distinctly enjoyed one film more than the other. Or where I've distinctly enjoyed both films. Like for example, our very first one, Psycho versus Jaws, which if people haven't heard it, well it's a bit rough because it was our first one. Those are two fantastic soundtracks. So you should definitely go back to that one. But so with that one, they were two amazing soundtracks, and I just didn't know who was gonna win because I didn't know which one we were gonna wind up liking more by the time we finished arguing yeah. about it. This one by I mean, we didn't even actually intend to talk about these two films to start with anyway sort of eagle eagle eared listeners from, oh from right last week yes may, may to kind of like explain we should have probably done it at the beginning of the podcast and said like i know you guys may have been expecting us to talk about a different film called legend <laughs> by ridley scott but um yeah wait for the surprise <laughs> yes <laughs> so yeah if you if you love that film just just bear with us because we've, we've got something for you but yeah so we we kind of we dumped that for reasons that we will soon explain and talked about The Fountain instead. So, you know, we didn't even particularly intend it, but we felt that these two films would be similar in, in theme, etc. And But what surprised me was this, as we've just been talking about, that they both kind of had this quality where we felt like the music was a bit mismatched and mm. didn't, didn't quite fit. So in this one, I was very unsure as to which one we were going to wind up uh, deciding was better because I felt like both were deeply flawed and I wasn't quite sure which way it was going to go. But... I kind of like how it has wound up playing out that we felt the fountain had the better love theme and ultimately we felt like it was the more interesting music and the more influential music. Slightly more polished. Yeah, and that we've wound up giving it to for the quality of the music, which I I like. Mm. The quality of the music and the quality of it as a love theme, which, I mean, for love theme soundtracks i mean those are the ways you should be deciding it so i'm I'm happy with how that's played out yeah it's definitely an interesting interesting discussion and experience that we've had moving on to our next episode which will be our 11th episode um here's our little surprise as we said we know we know that you were expecting us to discuss legend um by tangerine dream but it turns out that legend quite famously has two soundtracks 
It has an original soundtrack written by Jerry Goldsmith. And then after it was decided that that was leaving audiences a bit cold, while it was already released in the cinema, they went back and got a new soundtrack done by Tangerine Dream. So we were sitting there, we were like, we're definitely going to do the Tangerine Dream one, we'll compare it to Tristan and Isolde, it's going to be great. But then we realised, guys, with Soundtrack Showdown, we compare one soundtrack to another. How can we know about a film that literally has two different soundtracks by different people Mm, yeah that doesn't happen all the time and not compare them yeah this isn't something that normally happens this is a a rare opportunity so how could we possibly not talk about one versus the other so so that's what we're going to be doing next month it's going to be jerry goldsmith's legend versus tangerine dreams legend yeah I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, me too. This actually would be really, really interesting. I think this is the one where I feel like we may really have like butt heads and it might get quite heated up. Because for me, I think because you've never watched Legend. So because for me, I grew up watching this film in Russia with the Tangerine Dream soundtrack. So when I found out doing this research, you know, earlier this month, finding out, oh, there's another soundtrack mm-hmm. and there was Jerry Goldsmith and I was watching it with his soundtrack. I was a bit like, okay, this is different. This is very, very, this is not what I remember from my childhood. Yeah. So it's actually sort you of know? fighting against your expectations because you're remembering the scene, but you're remembering it with other things. So there's an element of nostalgia that I'm kind of latching onto yeah. and I'm kind of holding on to. So I kind of have to remember that trying to try and be a little bit more open-minded not necessarily open-minded but not and also not necessarily academic be more academic about it and sure technically minded to kind of remember like you know does it serve the film mm-hmm. so i i do yeah i think next next month could be could be quite competitive unless i wind up falling in love with the tangerine dream in which case we're just going to agree like we always do <laughs> well until then you guys have to wait for like another month yeah um but go out and li- like well here's a little um assignment you know why not actually go and watch both those f- films yes but i mean why don't you go and watch the, that film with both soundtracks and then so you kind of will be a little bit ready and to kind of have your inner inner discussion with us as well exactly get yourself or, ready but until then you know goodbye goodbye Do the wind, the sun, or the rain